Welcome back to the Ips Podcast. I'm Jack Craig. This is a biographical sports history podcast. Every week, I will exhaustively research and discuss in detail some of the most interesting individuals in sports history with my good friend, Davin Rozovsky. If you're interested in learning more about a certain fascinating athlete and hearing it discussed on this podcast, you can email us at theyipspodcast at gmail.com, comment on the Yips Podcast Facebook page, or tweet us at the Yips Podcast. On the Yips Podcast, you may hear offensive language and themes that may not be suitable for children. If you're easily offended by quotes from athletes of the past that may be politically incorrect by today's standards, this podcast may not be for you. All right, Davin, let's get started. All right, welcome back to the Yips Podcast. Davin, March Madness is yeah, upon it's, us. It's upon us. And it has been maddening already. It's been maddening and exciting. A lot of brackets are busted brackets. for yeah. those people with money on it. It's been interesting. I'm excited to see how it uh, unfolds. Yeah. Well, let's get get right into it. Thank you for listening, everybody. We're happy to have you back with us this week. I'll start things off with my Yip of the Week, Davin. That is teams that are under federal investigation by the FBI, men's college basketball programs that are basically a part of this paying players. Pay to play. Pay right. to play through shoe contract companies basically so those teams mentioned in the fbi investigation back in february were usc who was not selected to the ncaa tournament despite having a rpi ranking of 34 obviously there's 68 teams in the tournament right. so if you're ranked 34th you'd think they'd right. get in that's absurd they finished second in their conference and didn't get in in the pac-12 uh louisville from the acc was not selected to the tournament despite finishing with a better acc record than syracuse who was selected syracuse actually won in the first round yeah. as well. So that's probably due to the Rick Patino scandal. Oklahoma State was not selected despite quality wins over tournament teams like the number one seed Kansas, who they beat twice, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Texas, and Oklahoma. Yeah, those are some good wins. So they got left out. Miami was selected to the tournament as a six seed, but lost promptly in the first round to Loyola Chicago. Yeah, who was end, of the, end of the game buzzer beater, or close to buzzer yeah. beater. Obama picked the upset. Barack Obama, that was part of his I, bracket. Chicago guy. He, he gets presidential insights. Yeah. Arizona was selected to the tournament as well, but they were a number four seed and lost in the first round to Buffalo. Yeah, on, they got killed. Yeah, they got, they got smoked by Buffalo. The one other team mentioned in the investigation was Auburn and they played College of Charleston on Friday night and won. So they're the only team remaining in the tournament that was a part of that FBI. They're carrying the federal torch. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so that's my yip of the week is uh, NCAA men's basketball teams under FBI investigation. Okay, I'm uh, I'm interested to see how that uh, how that unfolds as time goes on. What punishments will be? What's actually you know proven and, right. and things like that. Yeah, it is interesting. If the FBI makes some findings, does that automatically mean that the NCAA gets to use those findings as part of their right and hand down sanctions right. or exactly. whatever? Yeah, so it should be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so on to my yip of the week. I actually got two for you this week. Okay. First one's obvious. Number one seeded University of Virginia lost in their first round game to number sixteen UMBC. UMBC, the retrievers. Um, of Baltimore. Yeah, Wolf Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> University of Virginia was, you know, the number one seed in the whole tournament. They were a one seed, one of the four, but, you know, finished the season number one in the country. And, uh, you know, become the first men's college basketball team in March Madness to ever lose to a 16 seed. Yeah. And there have been close one to 16 matchups before, but yeah. 
they got smoked. I think there was one other overtime game. Yeah, and there were two times been. that the number one seed won by like one or two points. Right. But University of Virginia was not even close. Yeah, they lost by 20. Yeah, it's, they lost uh, 74 to 54. They got the yips. Yeah, big time. Big time. And then uh, my second one, I'm going to switch it over to the world of women's college basketball to the uh, dominant UConn Huskies who played uh, their first round game today against number 16 St. Francis and the halftime score was 94 to 31. Jeez. That's <laughs> absolutely boat race. Absurd. They won the first period 55 to 19 and won the second quarter 39 to 12 and they went on to win the game 140 to 52. So their first quarter they scored more than St. Francis scored in the entire game 55 to 52. So they won they won by 88. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. That's absurd and they're just they're unbelievable. When's the last time they lost? They lost last year. They lost last year in the championship. But before that, they'd won the NCAA championship in 2013, 14, 15, and 16. Yeah, I think they had like three straight undefeated seasons, which led to a championship. And then last year, they either had no losses or one loss going into the championship, and they lost. And then this year, they're 32 and well, 33 and 0 now. That is insane. That is dominance. They're a factory. Like no other. Yeah. They're a women's college basketball factory. They lost to Mississippi State last year. Last year in the final. Yep. And it ended a streak of 111 consecutive wins. Jeez. Well, that goes to show the dominance of the UConn women's basketball right. team. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if anybody's got a shot to beat them this year. Yeah, I don't think so based on an 88-point win in the yeah. first round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that takes us into this week's episode. John Brisker. Okay. That's Brisker, baby. Oh, it's chilly in here. Was born in Detroit, Michigan on June 15th, 1947. He grew up in the Detroit Projects, where he quickly developed the toughness needed to survive the streets there in the 50s and 60s. A mile road. Yeah. He had a lot of Detroit pride. He was proud of where he came from. Did he rap? No. Oh, okay. I thought this was a story of Eminem. Not a rapper. Oh, okay. okay. Quote, I've seen that movie, 8 Mile. Yeah, 8 Mile. <laughs> Quote, In Detroit, if you're tough enough, Brisker once told a reporter, they name playgrounds for you. Brisker used to play ball at playgrounds located between Ham Tramp High School and Highland Park. Sure enough, later on, the playground would be named in his honor. Brisker Playground? John Brisker Park. Brisker not only played basketball as a youth, but he also dabbled in boxing. He had the size and talent to become a professional boxer or possibly an NFL prospect, but ultimately found his calling on the hardwood. So he was a big boy. He was a big guy. At Hamtramck High School, he starred on the basketball team. He was well over six feet tall by the time he was 17 years old, and he started receiving interest from schools willing to offer him a scholarship. John wasn't much for studies, though, although he did greatly enjoy band. So he didn't really take school seriously, but, but he was liked, way into band. He was like into music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Liked, it, liked his instrument. I, I bet he was a drummer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what instrument he played. I couldn't find that. I just assume it's fun to bang on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Following his senior year of high school, Brisker accepted a scholarship to leave Detroit for Toledo University in Ohio. Although in a different state, Toledo is only about a two-hour drive from Detroit, as it's positioned in the northwest corner of Ohio on Lake Erie, Mm -hmm. and right, Detroit's on the kind of southeast side of Michigan. So they're, they're... Despite different states, they're pretty close together. Did you know that Ohio is the only state that's round on the outside and high in the middle? That's good. It took me a second. I was thinking of the I was thinking of the shape of the state. I was like, well, it's kind of a U. Yeah, that's a good one. 
So Brisker enrolls at Toledo and immediately finds that the culture at the college is a little different than things were back in Detroit. It's 1965 when he enrolls and the Brown versus the Board of Education ruling was made in 1954 which brought integration mm-hmm. in schools. and Was uh, was he a black guy? Yeah, he's a black okay. guy. Uh, he became frustrated with Toledo's racial disharmony. Back in Detroit, most of the white population left the city for the suburbs in the early 1950s. Uh, so schools that Brisker attended for middle and high school, were mostly. they were mostly black and integrated. In fact, by 1970, only one of three students in Detroit public schools was white. Okay, so it was, they were the majority. Yeah. Most of the students at his high school, regardless of race, were from also roughly the same socioeconomic background of downtown Detroit. So the students socialized freely without much racial prejudice. So even even the white students, they have roughly the same background socioeconomically as the black students and everybody gets along. There's not a, right. there's not a huge race issue right. Right, at the schools he attended. Uh, at Toledo, though, the school was largely white and you had groups of affluent students who wanted nothing to do with black students from the city. Brisker struggled in his classes, but he made up for it on the basketball court. As only a sophomore, he averaged 14 points a game to go along with nine and a half rebounds. He'd grown into a chiseled six foot five forward who played with the toughness. He's a, like Sir Charles. A lot of toughness. Yeah, he's a little less round. He's he's definitely ripped, like, but he's a, he's a swing man. He's kind of in between. Okay. Oh, he's so like he's a small not a forward. He's like a small forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his 1966-67 team went 23 and three and won the MAC conference with an 11-1 record. Mm. The team was coached by Bob Nichols, who was in his second of eventually 22 seasons with the Toledo Rockets, and he still holds the school record in almost every coaching category. Is that the name of Toledo's basketball They're the team? Rockets. Still? Yeah. Funny, I never knew that. Yeah. That coach holds most of the conference records for the MAC as well. Okay. So he basically coached. The coach coached at Toledo and basically nowhere else. What did the coach do? He coached. Oh, okay. The coach is coach. <laughs> that, that's know. what they do. Hey, shoot or shoot. They do. Yeah. Its best player on the team was a guy named Steve Mix, who was the same year as John Brisker and went on to have a 13-year career in the NBA. Um, The Rockets in his sophomore year made the NCAA tournament but lost to Virginia Tech 82-76 in the first round. Brisker in that game has usual workmen like 15 points and 10 in the game. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's, he's a, yeah, he's a small forward or large shooting guard yeah. and, but he still gets in there and gets rebounds. Right. Yeah. And, he like just plays balls to the wall. Yeah. Plays hard. What, what year was this? Like 1966. This the so the, the tournament field was a lot less. Right. So this wasn't like the NCAA tournament like it is now. It was a national invitational, which resulted in a national champion, but there was probably like, what, like eight teams on each side of the bracket or something. I yeah, don't know I what it was. It was I think it was, it was 32. Oh, was it as many I, as I that? I think so. Okay. Yeah, you had to win your conference. Okay. So Brisker, he's not really loving college, but he improves to averaging 15 points per game as a junior. Toledo, though, went 16-8, and eight, and they didn't win the MAC like they had the previous season. Brisker and Steve Mix continued to force in the division, though. Then as seniors, Brisker basically checked out. During his senior year, he flunked out of Toledo. Oh, if you're going to flunk out of college, at least do it in your first two years. I don't know this for sure, but it looked like he was there to play basketball. Right. And he's basically, as basketball season's wrapping up, he's like, I don't know. He's like, yeah, screw it. 
But you've been there for three and a half years. You can't just suck it up for three months. Yeah. Also, Brisker, despite his poor grades, he, he was a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Um, he was very proud of his African heritage, and he excelled in his African culture studies classes, mm-hmm. and he did a lot of independent reading and research on the subject wherever he could. A couple years later, he began to wear dashikis as uh, his like main clothing Garb. choice and as a way to exhibit his African pride. Okay. Although readily accepted today at the time, it made Brisker a target of inquiry. Some within the establishment pegged him as a black militant, right? So you're kind of around the time of Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King on right. how civil rights should And like go. the Black Panthers are still probably pretty prominent. Yeah, and he, from appearance, seems to be more in the Malcolm X camp. In 1969, the ABA was entering its third season. Mm-hmm. The Pittsburgh Pipers picked up Brisker for the 1969-70 season. The team had won the very first ABA championship over the New Orleans Buccaneers two years prior, but they needed help going into this season because they had been terrible the previous season. They'd fired three coaches. Oh, in one season? In one season. That kind of seems pointless. Yeah, right? Like, you fire one because the season's not going well. If the second one doesn't do well, your season's just a wash anyway, so might as well just, just stick with it and go and tiring. Let it ride. Yeah. Well, I think, too, the ABA is a little bit like the Wild West. It's only its third season. Everybody's still figuring it out. You got crazy owners and stuff. And uh, The ABA still exists. I don't know if you knew that. Does it? It does. In a different way than it did back then. Like, then it was kind of a more legitimate professional league. Okay. Now it's a lot of former D2 and D3 players that get paid a small amount, but the league exists. Well, I think it was reestablished. Okay. What, what that, happened, that might be that. It folded into the NBA later. Right. And that, But... Currently, there is, there is a, well, a I don't know basketball currently, association. But like four or five years ago, I went to an ABA game. Oh, okay. Yeah, which was played at Framingham State. Oh, nice. And it wasn't that good. The players were good, but they weren't that good. Gotcha. You know, they probably got paid like a hundred bucks for the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a side job. Side. That was, was a side yeah, job. It was, like, yeah. it was like guys that play like semi-pro football. Okay. That type of deal where they probably get some money for it from the people that come and watch the games. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they fired three different coaches during their previous season. And the ABA is a fast, high-scoring style. And an athletic, tough player like Brisker was exactly what the Pipers needed. Yeah. So they regularly score over 100 points a game, mm-hmm. which at the time in the NBA isn't happening. Right. The NBA was a much more defensive-minded, yeah. pounded-inside t- kind of league. Yeah. Almost immediately, Brisker begins to earn a reputation as one of the toughest guys in the ABA. His former point guard, Charlie Williams, recalls in the book, Loose Balls, The Short Wildlife of the American Basketball Association, quote, There was a real contradiction to Brisker. He was an exceptionally talented player with a good long-range jump shot. He was vicious under the basket and got more rebounds than any six-foot-five guy should. He had good all-around basketball skills and really was an excellent player. But his personality was something else. Say something wrong to the guy, or at least that he thought was wrong, and you had this feeling that John would reach into his bag, take out a gun, and shoot you. <laughs> I like this guy. In training camp, if John sensed that there was a guy who might take his job, the rookie was in trouble. John would physically take the player apart. The guys on the other teams were just scared of him, and the guys on his own team were very leery of him as well. (laughs) So basically, everybody's like, don't mess with that guy. Don't fuck with this guy. (laughs) Uh, I'm not benching him, otherwise I'm going to get strangled like PJ Carlissima. Yeah, yeah, with Trail Spreewell. So he had the size and shooting touch of a swingman, but he played more like a power forward, bruising, tough, and even violent at times. I like that game. Yeah. That, that style of play. It didn't take long for Brisker to intimidate other players with his ferocity and no holds barred approach to the game. 
In his rookie season, Brisker and Sweet Charlie Williams led the Pittsburgh Pipers with 21 and 19.5 points per game, respectively. The ABA played with a three-point line, and that helped Brisker as he had a good long-range shot. Did the NBA not have a three-point line yet? Correct. Okay. Correct. He was roughly a 30% three-point shooter, which at the time was pretty good since it was a fairly new addition to the game. Right, and it's probably not something that they shot that often once it first And it's out. not in college, so you're not getting regular practice at it, right? It's only in the ABA at this time. Despite scoring 112 points a game, the 69-70 Pipers went 29-55 and while firing their coach halfway through the season. For Brisker, he was named to the ABA All-Rookie Team, though. Okay, so, so he, had a, he had a good season? Yeah, things were promising. Entering his second season with the Pipers, they became known as the Condors. So the, the Pittsburgh Pipers in became his second season Pittsburgh became Condors. the Pittsburgh Condors. In this season, word is spread, and everybody knows you should not mess with Brisker. He's yeah. got he's got a rep. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's got a reputation now. Former Indiana Pacers general manager and legal counsel Dick Tinkman, great name, who served as one of the most instrumental people guiding the ABA during those years, recalls, Quote, the legendary Brisker story was that in one of the training camps, Pittsburgh brought in an ex-football player who was supposed to control Brisker, and the first time Brisker stepped out of line, the football player was supposed to flatten him. Well, the two guys started going at it. The football player said, the hell with you, I'm getting my gun. And Brisker replied, if you're getting a gun, I'm going to go get my gun. Then they both took off on the court in opposite directions, presumably to go get their guns. The coaches took one look at what was happening, and they called off practice before somebody got shot. <laughs> they just both show up, and everyone's just gone. They're out of the stadium. <laughs> the football player was subsequently cut from the Pittsburgh Condors. In his second season, Brisker was even better. He averaged 29.3 points wow. per game with 10 rebounds, along with three assists, and shot 34% from three-point range. Some good numbers. So that's for the 1970-71 season. Sorry, just to jump back to yeah, you, yeah. bring the football player to practice story. It's funny that that they wouldn't do their research and be like, okay, let's not bring in a guy that has a temper so bad that he's going to want to go get his gun and shoot our player. Let's bring someone in that's just tough and hard-nosed that's going to show this guy Brisker that he's not the toughest guy in the world. Yeah. Also, Brisker's leading the team in scoring. Right. Since your best guy, you have to have somebody come in to try to beat him up, basically. Right. Even if it's just like, you know, bring someone in to give him a challenge to make him better and kind of bring him down to earth a little bit, but help him improve. Don't bring a guy that's going to bring a gun to practice. <laughs> like, come on, what are you doing? Brisker's performance earned him an all-star selection in 1971 and a spot on the all-ABA team. Condors didn't really improve, though, as they went 35-49 and 49 and missed out on the playoffs. Even off the court, Brisker developed a reputation. For years, rumors swirled that he carried a gun to the Pittsburgh Civic Center in his gym bag every day. Which isn't that surprising based on what we know. Yeah. The Condors only stoked that reputation, featuring Brisker on the cover of their media guide while wearing two holsters and two guns. <laughs> Do you have a guy holding a gun? Guns as your program like that's <laughs> Interesting. Now, if he if the team was like called the Cowboys right, or something like sense. that, it makes it, you're it, like the condors. Yeah, it doesn't which, make what's a condor? Is it a snake? No, it's a, a it's bird. like a vulture. A bird, that's right. Yeah, it's the California state bird. Oh, okay. Brisker made a strong impression on his general manager, Marty Blake, who would later become a scouting guru for the NBA. Quote, I thought he was a hell of a competitor, Blake once said. The best player I had. Although Blake once argued with Brisker over the details of his contract, he never considered him a disciplinary problem. Quote, 
I never had a problem with him, said Blake. He played very hard for me. Right. So right. So he wasn't a guy that caused problems for the coach. He was just like a guy that played hard and was tough and mean. Right. He wasn't like a dick. It also seems that what you see is what you get. He's very upfront that he is a tough guy. He's not dishonest about it. He's not like a snake in the grass or anything. Right. But he probably, you know, didn't get in fights with coaches and things like that. He just was there to play basketball and fuck people up. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes he played too hard. Uh, with his emphasis on the physical aspects of the game, Brisker often engaged opposing players in fights. Those fights led to frequent ejections. Given his seemingly love of fighting, Brisker earned the nickname the heavyweight champion of the ABA. That's what everybody called him. <laughs> so that actually kind of makes his statistics even better. Because you figure maybe he got thrown out in the first oh, quarter true. in like yeah. five games yeah. out of the season where he had like five points, four rebounds at that point. His 29 was really like 33. Yeah, there might have been eight games that year where he got ejected. Right, you know. and significantly affected his scoring output yeah. for that game. Some players express concerns that Brisker might do something drastic on the court. Consider the words of his former Condors teammate, Sweet Charlie, quote, He was an excellent player, but say something wrong to the guy and you had this feeling he would reach into his bag, take out a gun, and shoot you. <laughs> Again, you imagine just being a lot in a of situation where you're like <laughs> playing basketball with the guy and he's on your team, but you always have to worry about being shot by him. Yeah. Not just, you know, oh, we're playing a game in a rough area. Maybe like there'll be a drive by our side. No, like the guy on your own bus might shoot you. <laughs> One player who must have considered that possibility was Art Becker, a forward for the Denver Rockets. Only a couple of minutes into a game, Brisker threw a vicious elbow at Becker, earning an ejection from the game. There you go. That's getting kicked out early, right? A couple minutes in. But Brisker wasn't done. He charged onto the court after Becker three different times after refs walked him off the court before police officers finally restrained him and (laughs) escorted him to the Condors locker room. That's (laughs) fantastic. I love that. I used to love the ESPN classic games that you find on sometimes. Yeah. There were legitimate fights in the 80s between like the Celtics and Pistons or something. Or the, also, Pistons, the Pistons and anyone, really. In these in these fights, too, the refs are supposed to maintain control. They're right. Like, what are they going to do? Yeah, exactly. These are like, let's just say the shortest guy is 6'5, 230 pounds. Yeah. And you're like a 5 foot 10, 180 pound <laughs> ref. <laughs> Who's also 10 or 15 years older, you know? Yeah, minimum. So he makes the 1971 ABA all-star team at the 1971 aba all-star game brisker was seen wandering through the stands recalls aba historian and former commentator van vance another great name a couple great names in this. Yeah. quote i said to him john who are you looking for he said jack Dolph." i said why do you want to see the commissioner he said i want my all-star money right now Dolph came by and then brisker said i want my 300 dollars." Dolph started to say something and brisker interrupted and said i played in the game I get $300 for being in the game. I want my $300. Brisker had that look about him. Dolph just took out his wallet, peeled off three $100 bills, and handed it over to Brisker. (laughs) I wonder what he needed this $300 so urgently for. Now it's the 70s, you know. Drugs and hookers. Yeah, drugs drugs and basketball in the 70s and early 80s. And hookers. Yeah. Don't forget the hookers. The Dallas Chaparral's head coach... So Chaparral is like a roadrunner kind of bird. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Head coach Tom Nisalki, I'm hoping that's right, recalled being on a nine-game losing streak as they went to Pittsburgh. He was worried about getting fired. Quote, the Dallas GM was Bob Briner, and he used to let me keep a checkbook so that if a guy played a great game, I could give him a couple hundred bucks as a bonus right on the spot. Yeah. So... 
Brisker had been kicking our ass all year. I mean, beating the hell out of us. He gave him a check to play bad. So I told the team... No, no, no. He's the Dallas coach going to Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. The Dallas coach is going to Pittsburgh, and he's allowed to give his players money. Right. Okay. I gotcha. So I told the team, the first guy in this room who decks Brisker will get $500. That's awesome. Bounty (laughs) gate. So Lenny Chappell said, how about starting me, coach? Coach Nisalki started Lenny, and as the ball went up for the tip-off, Lenny sucker-punched Brisker. No one... (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't even like a basketball play. He just like... No, as as the ref throws the ball up for the tip-off, Brisker's not in the jump ball, and Lenny just turns and just clocks him. No one even saw it because everyone was paying attention to the tip-off. After the game, the coach gave Lenny 500 bucks. From then on, whenever there was a scuffle, everyone on Dallas would just try to deck Brisker, and they would receive $500. So the coach from said from then on we never had any more trouble with Brisker. Right. So basically every game that they play against Dallas, Dallas kind of starts a scuffle and then someone just tries to sucker punch Brisker. <laughs> so Brisker was just like, yeah, I, I'm good against this team. I'm fine. In October of 1971, Brisker attended a World Series game between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Baltimore Orioles. Towards the end of the game, he climbed into a taxi with his girlfriend outside the stadium. When the driver and another man who was waiting near the taxi told them the car was reserved for the guy waiting, Brisker argued with them and refused to get out of the cab. Then Brisker started to fight the man who claimed that it was his cab. The cops were called and three or four officers showed up and they basically just like beat the hell out of Brisker. Right. He was not willing was, to go quietly. It was, it was when that type of stuff was happening frequently right. too. So he and his girlfriend were both booked at the police station, but they let the girlfriend go without any charges. Brisker, though, spent the night and ended up missing the Condors exhibition game against Dallas the following night. Which he was going to get knocked out in anyways by soccer <laughs> yeah, that's so like, right. What's the difference the if, it's, game, if it's by one of their players or if it's by a police of officer? Of the game to miss, that, that would be the one. So Brisker returned for the 1971-72 season. However, the Condors were not doing well. Their attendance dropped under 1,000 fans per game this year. In the beginning of 1972, the owner announced that the team would move the following year. Mm-hmm. Brisker played in only 49 games that season as the Condors went 25-59. and 59. He did average 28.9 points a game and made his second ABA All-Star team, though. So he had a good season. Is there a reason he didn't play? Uh, I think he had some injuries. Okay. In the offseason, the Condors looked at relocation, but ultimately the league decided to fold the team. Most of the Condors were picked up by other teams in the ABA dispersal draft, but Brisker decided to go to the NBA. Good decision. Yeah. I like that move. The Supersonics managed to lure Brisker to join their team for 1972-73 season, However, they were found to have acquired him by skirting league rules. The Sykes uh, eventually had to pay a $10,000 fine and surrender a first-round pick for their actions. Well, what did they do together? So I think they, I think it was one of those things where they didn't really allow him to be a free agent. Yep. So they, they basically kind of got his rights ahead of time. To, yeah. Okay. Lenny Wilkins had been the Sonics coach as a player and coach the previous season yeah. before Brisker joined, but he'd been lured away to play for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Tom Nasalki, who was the ABA's coach of the year the previous season, had been hired away from Dallas to coach the Seattle Supersonics. The Supersonics were led by Hall of Fame power forward Spencer Haywood, who had spent one year in the ABA playing for the Denver Rockets before joining Seattle. Brisker found his role in the starting five and averaged 13 points in 24 minutes per game. So he had a good season there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good rookie rookie NBA campaign. Right. The team started the season 13-32, and 32, though, and Nasalki was promptly fired. Uh, that gave the team's coaching duties to Bucky Buckwalter. Again, Another name. A, a great name. Van Vance and Bucky Buckwalter. <laughs> 
and he took over as the coach uh, to help the team finish to a 26 and 56 season. So he only earned 13 wins in you know basically the second half of the season. Yeah. In his second season with the team, Brisker butted heads with their new head coach, Bill Russell. During the 1973-74 season. I didn't know Bill Russell coached the Sonics. Did you know that? Uh, I did not. As a player, Russell had led the Celtics to NBA championships in 11 of the 13 seasons he played. In his last three years with the team, Russell had replaced head coach Red Auerbach and served as a player coach while leading the Celtics to championships in two of those three seasons. This was a big deal because Bill Russell was also the NBA's first black head coach. Davin, you know, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, Davin's got his little Celtics shirt My Larry on. Bird shirt. Is, uh, there you go, Larry Legend. Brisker quickly found himself at odds with Russell, who was an old-school NBAer, a believer in strict discipline, practice, and strong defense. Russell's philosophy did not mesh with the free-spirited, offensive-minded Brisker. Right, so Brisker's kind of a guy who, like, he came from the ABA, he wants to push the pace, Yeah, plays. It's funny, too, though, because Bill Russell was, like, a big civil rights guy as well. Mm-hmm. So you would think that they would have been able to find some common ground, you know. Yeah, uh, so although still a powerful presence, both on and off the court, the Sonics demoted Brisker to the CBA, so it's like minor league, Eastern Basketball League after only 35 games in his first season with Russell. Even though John was averaging a healthy 12.5 points per game. So it was basically because Bill Russell yeah. like couldn't deal with it. Because the they were not getting along. Russell said Brisker, quote, lacked discipline and that he sent him down to learn to play some defense. Fair Again, enough. it's old school mentality versus new flashy right. offense sort of stuff, right? Brisker, obviously thinking a good defense beats a good offense every time, scored 56 points in his first CBA outing. <laughs> oh, you think I'm not good enough to play in the NBA? Oh, yeah, I'm here's 56, 56 points. He was actually even more valuable off the court for the Seattle Supersonics as well. He was a player that was at every charity event. He created basketball camps that served the underprivileged area of Seattle and became an advocate for those communities. So he he ended up, you know, really shaping himself up. Yeah, as sweet Charlie Williams said earlier, he was sort of this contradiction of good guy, but mean. Good offensive player, but really tough. You know, a lot of those things are normally not... Nice guy, but will shoot you with this gun. (laughs) (laughs) So the Sonics... that year went 36 and 46 and missed the playoffs. For the next season, the 74-75 season, Brisker's playing time dwindled and he was relegated to a non-starter. He averaged only 13 minutes a game, but still managed to score 7.7 points per game. So he's still a contributor. Right. He was still only 27 years old, but it looked like his time in the NBA was coming to an end. I'm not sure if it was injury or his inability to conform with Bill Russell's philosophy, but Brisker did not play after February of the 74-75 season. The Sonics won their last seven games of the regular season to make the playoffs without Brisker. Mm -hmm. They beat the Pistons in the first round before losing to the Warriors in six games in the second round. In the offseason, the Sonics owner made it clear that the Sonics wanted to move on from Brisker, but Brisker was still under contract. Apparently in the offseason, Brisker had surgery on his foot. Okay, so that's probably why he missed these games. I think it was one of those things where maybe he could have kept playing, but the injury with the fact that they didn't really want him to. Mm -hmm. The owner claimed that Brisker having surgery on his foot without the Sonics' approval breached his three-year $700,000 contract. Furthering matters, Shulman claimed Brisker was sparking dissension on the club. So eventually the two, the owner and Brisker, negotiated a $325,000 buyout from the Sonics. Okay. For a couple of years, Brisker had also been suspected of cocaine use, as a lot of the hey, NBA was at the time. Yeah. During his last two years in Seattle, he'd be great one night and horrible the next, which led to that thought. 
Around right, the league, he'd, he'd have a good game going and party. Yeah, and then the Be next day, over. terrible. Yeah. Around the league at this time, one anonymous player said to reporters, "Quote: Coke is rampant in the league, man. I mean, seventy-five percent use it. It's like drinking water. You hit the blow to be sociable." And another thing too is the NBA player schedule, yep. right? You're up late, so right. you go party Your games after end games. at like nine o'clock at right. night, ten o'clock at night, whatever. Yeah, later than that even. Yeah, and then you like hit the bars. You need to wind down, right? So Brisker's or time, up. or yeah, or turn it up, right? <laughs> so Brisker's time with the Seattle SuperSonics came to an end prior to the 1975-76 season. His pugnacious reputation and whisperings of his drug use probably contributed to him being blackballed by the rest of the league. Huh. No one wanted to sign him. He also had some money problems with the IRS over taxes he owed on his house and a restaurant that he had opened. Brisker played for the Cherry Hill Rookies of the Eastern Basketball Association in 1975. In the 1976 offseason, the ABA finally merged with the NBA. Four ABA teams were absorbed into the NBA. The New York Nets, the Denver Nuggets, the Indiana Pacers, and the San Antonio Spurs. Over the next couple of years, it's a little unclear what Brisker was up to. He married his girlfriend, Michelle, and he made the first of several trips to Africa. In 1975, he accompanied Nigerian immigre, which is a person who leaves their home country for political reasons, to Africa and returned Immigre? With, yeah. Oh, never heard that word Like, before. strictly for political I know it's reasons. based on immigrant, obviously, yeah, yeah. but... Okay. He came back with hopes that he wanted to buy a soccer team in Africa. And his wife objected to these trips as she had a feeling that, like, something was dangerous. So he shot her. No, no. In 1977, Michelle and John divorced. John then fathered a child with a Seattle woman named Kalila Rashad in early 1978. A few weeks after his child's birth, John left for Africa with a Seattle friend named Ben Taylor. He said he was going there to lay the groundwork for an import-export business that he hoped would help get him back into stable financial situation. So you got a guy who's (laughs) probably still heavily using cocaine, and he's going to Africa to open an import-export business. business. He spoke by phone with his girlfriend, Rashad, on April 11th, 1978. He said he would send for us, recalled Rashad. He said he loved me. He loved the baby. No one in the United States ever heard from Brisker again. Oh, jeez. Rumors swirled that he'd become a bodyguard or mercenary for Idi Amin, who was the president of Uganda from 1971 to 1979 before losing power and escaping to Libya and Saudi Arabia. Other rumors were that he had argued with the president and been killed over a disagreement. Or pulled his gun. Or pulled his gun. For his normal go-to move. move. His go-to yeah. move. Other stories have him drifting to Guyana and dying in the Jonestown Massacre in November of 1978. Or maybe he took on a new identity and is alive somewhere else today. He's a legend. He just disappeared. He's a legend. Yeah. For years, more wild rumors began to circulate. Brisker was on the run from the feds. Brisker was on the run from the mob. Brisker fell in with some shady Liberian drifters. Brisker's alive and well under an assumed identity in Africa. Brisker made it back to the U.S. and he's still alive. Another rumor claimed that Brisker was hired to coach the Ugandan national basketball team, ended up arguing with Amin, and ended up as just another of the bloodthirsty tyrant's many corpses. The wildest rumor claims that Brisker died in the Jonestown Massacre orchestrated by cult leader Jim Jones. Perhaps the most plausible explanation is that Brisker, who was living in the royal palace at Amin's invitation, was executed by a firing squad of revolutionaries when the brutal dictator was removed from power in 1979. Understandable. The State Department FBI checked out that angle and came up empty-handed, though. 
Quote, I always wondered what happened, former teammate Spencer Haywood says, and then people put the rumors out that he was caught up in that coup in Uganda. He went to Uganda and it was as a mercenary and he was fighting over there. Former teammate Tom Burleson says, his wife went with him and he was captured by Idi Amin's men. And Idi Amin had him prepared and they served him and his wife banquet style. So Tom Burleson's a little off his rocker there. He, it sounds like he says that the Ugandan president ate him. <laughs> That's what it sounded like initially. Like when you were saying it, I was like, he was served? Did they fillet him? Medium rare, rare. You know, how do you, how do you eat human? In truth, no one really knows what happened. The King County Medical Examiner officially declared Brisker dead in May of 1985, seven years later. Yeah for the purpose of his estate being settled. But the State Department could not confirm that Brisker had even gone to Africa. James Callahan, a spokesman for the State Department in the 80s, was quoted at the time as saying, quote, Essentially, we don't consider him dead. A spokesperson for the FBI Seattle office wrote in a recent email, quote, We cannot conclusively say if the FBI was involved or not. Right, there's no one I has mean, any idea. I mean, what if happened. you can, if a guy's never like actually found dead, he could be proclaimed dead or announced dead or whatever. But like, there's no way of actually knowing for sure. Right, Brisker exists today as a memory, a lost talent, a legend. That's right, a lost talent who could have been a star and is Seattle's most puzzling sports mystery. A former teammate said, "Quote: Often in quiet moments of my life, when I think about my teammates, I think about him. I wonder, is John really dead? It's a it's a real question." Yeah. A legitimate question. So most of our episodes have kind of come to an ending, and this one just kind of drifts off. Yeah, maybe in maybe in three or four years we'll have a spinoff to this episode with the real story of Brisker. Everything that I could find about him was from around 1985, usually. Yeah. That was the last time. You know, when they declared him dead, there was right. a lot of investigative journalism that happened to try to figure out what happened. Yep. And again, no one really knew. Right. And no one still knows, it sounds like. Yeah. In war-torn countries, it's not like there's a lot of documentation of right. people coming and going. So it makes sense that no one would find him and there's not a record of right. him Right. He's being probably around. in a hole somewhere. Right. So John Brisker, tough guy who probably met his end in a African government coup, maybe. Yeah, or he lives in a random hut in Seattle. Yeah, that's all. Awesome. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah, so that's the story of John Brisker. In the NBA and ABA, he only played for one winning team. Yeah, so, so he I don't know if he was a great locker room guy. Yeah, he probably wasn't. I mean, his teammates <laughs> were scared of him. Yeah, I mean, that's usually not a good sign. Right. It's it's one thing to be tough, and he's going to have everybody's back as soon as anything happens. But it's another thing to be like, I don't want that person thinking I wronged them Right. in any way. I'm just going to not talk to them. Right. Yeah. So just talking about this story, it kind of makes me think of a couple of other NBA things that somewhat relate to it throughout okay. like the course of time. I don't know if you remember the uh, gun incident in the Washington Wizards locker room Yeah, with Gilbert, Gilbert Arenas, Arenas yeah. and I can't remember who the other guy was, but apparently they pulled guns on each other. It was over a game of... Uh, it was cards or dice was, or something. I think it was spades. I think they It might have been. Spades, yeah, yeah. Like, I think Gilbert Arenas owed the guy some money and was like, yeah, fuck you, I'm not paying you. Yeah, and it was like a <laughs> And rookie, then they like... Right? Pull, yeah, yeah, they like pulled guns on each other. And that was essentially the end of Gilbert Arenas' career. I think yeah. he played a little bit after that, but not much. He was on his way down at yeah. that point. Too. Yeah, he was. I actually read a story this morning about how apparently, and I don't know how, how much truth there is to this story, but Glenn Big Baby Davis was arrested on some drug charges. Oh. And they called him a drug kingpin. <laughs> 
What? He was apparently dealing drugs out of a Hampton Inn somewhere. Oh. I read this story this morning. I didn't really dive too deep into it. Huh. But it's just funny because this this made me rethink of that story that I read this morning. Huh. I guess it was just marijuana that he was selling. Okay. But I guess he where he was, the location he was selling it is... He was arrested, charges of drug possession, in Maryland last month. Okay. Right, yeah. It happened in February. Okay. But like the story only came out recently. I only saw the story today. Davis gave the police consent to search his room and marijuana was found along with a briefcase containing $90,000 in cash. I met him in an elevator in Waltham. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Was when, he nice? Uh, it was his rookie year. I, I actually didn't know who it was when I saw him. Well, but he's just a massive right, person. Right, massive man. I'm in the elevator with him and he's wearing New Jersey Nets shorts. And okay. I was like, hey, what's up, man? You play you play ball? And he's like, yeah. I was like, who do you play for? He's like, the Celtics. I was like, oh, yeah? Who are you? He's like, Glenn Davis. Like, oh, what's up, man? <laughs> like, slap dance with him. You know, I knew they drafted him, and I knew him from college. But, like, I wouldn't recognize him at that point. Especially out of place. Right. Know? It was in a random apartment building. Oh. So maybe funny. maybe he was carrying $90,000 and He could have been. He had a nice building. BMW in the parking garage. Yeah. Okay. Him and Tony Allen both lived in that apartment building. Yeah. There's a couple of good documentaries on the ABA, whereas now everybody has an agent and a manager who yep. like keeps them in check. Back then, these players were just starting to get money, and they were young, yep. and drugs are rampant. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, supervision to you know young people, and there weren't a lot of role models as well that could tell them how to do things the right, right way. Right, so it's kind of just like wild. Yeah, it was wild. If you're ever looking for a good documentary to watch, there's a couple good ones on the ABA and just the crazy stories from that time. Yeah. So, uh, John Brisker was a huge part of that. Was one of, the, one of the stories. Yeah. The rarely seen basketball enforcer. So that's it for this episode of the Yips Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to do check out our social channels at the Yips Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and our Facebook page, which is the Yips Podcast. Be sure to recommend our podcast to a friend. You know, we really would appreciate it. We're trying to grow the podcast and we'll be back next week with some more stories from uh, sports history. Yeah, enjoy March Madness. We'll see you next time.